Let's go to the Word. I'm going to be moving around in a bit of an uncharacteristic manner today. We're going to anchor everything that we talk about in the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. I will read it simply and succinctly, and then we will begin. John writes this to the Christians in the first century. We love because he first loved us. We love because he, Jesus, first loved us. I want to talk to you this morning about love. And I want to talk to you about love because Jesus first loved us. And I want to begin in this way. I want you to just for a moment think back over your life. And I want you to recall a time when you felt more love than maybe at any other time. It might have been one moment in time. It might be a remembrance of seasons or experiences. But when is a moment in your life that you felt the greatest expression of love? I'll share one of mine with you just to kind of get the ball rolling. Not that we're all going to share here in a moment. We're not going that different, okay? That's way different. For me as a kid growing up for the first 25 years of my life, one thing remained the same. Every Christmas Eve, we went to my grandmother's house. Every Christmas Eve. And we met the rest of my family somewhere between, depending on who was in and out of town on any given year, 40 to 50 of our family members. Big family, one house, everybody packed in. You can only imagine what it was like. And at that time in our life, all the cousins, and this is Arkansas, so stay with me. Cousins are like brothers. Ah, oh, you missed the second part of that joke. That was even funnier than the first. We would exchange gifts. And for me, uh, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the gift. But for me, the exchanging of the gifts and the chaos of the activity of that night as we ate together and laughed and shared the Christmas time together, to me, it was one of the greatest expressions of love. And I never doubted if I was going to get something when I went to that meeting, mostly because of my grandmother and my mother. There were several others who were convinced I didn't deserve anything on that night and I fully agreed with them but nevertheless my grandmother and my mother were there so I knew I was going to have a present awaiting for me for me it's just it was that experience that was so formative never questioning if in that group of people there was love for me and it's just something that's always stuck with me what about you What's one of those memories or events in your past, in your life, that you would say, you know, when I think about love, I think about this kind of a memory or this kind of experience. And I want you to hold on to that for a moment because I want to build, I want to build, excuse me, off of that understanding and, and even that feeling of love that you experienced. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals for us and demonstrates to us God's love. He, God comes in all of his love to us, fully set forth in the person, in the teachings, in the life, and the work, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and now ultimately the rule of King Jesus. And so Jesus is synonymous with love. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we come to learn who Jesus is and what he taught and how it was that he willingly laid down his life for us and, and was killed on a cross and then was put in the tomb and then three days later was raised up from the tomb. Through this good news, God's love comes to us and it really does four specific things for us in that. First of all, it saves us. When by faith we trust in Jesus and believe in what he has done and who he is, we are saved. But the Bible also tells us that God's gospel in Jesus Christ sanctifies us. 
God does not only save us, but rather he puts on us Christ's righteousness, substituting our unrighteousness with his own son's righteousness. So God in the gospel loves us by saving us. He loves us by sanctifying us or making us holy is what that word means. He loves us, are you ready, by sending us. For the Bible tells us that through the gospel, we not only receive something from God, but we are sent in God's name as faithful witnesses to be ambassadors of this good news that we've heard and believed. And so God's love saves us, it sanctifies us, it sends us, And are you ready? Because there's no small amount of challenge in those first three that we've gotten to. God's love sustains us. It holds us. In those moments when we feel like the Christian life is so difficult, we may be overwhelmed by it. When what we believe God is leading us to do or what God is saying to us is more than we can muster, is more than we can do, God says this, my love is everlasting to you. I am with you You can go, you can obey, you can be the person that I've created you to be. God's love sustains us. It's not just a presence or an emotion or feeling, but it's a power within us that he gives us the strength to live in the truth that he has declared to us. So God's love saves us, God's love sanctifies us, God's love sends us, and God's love sustains us. You know, so many of you in the room this morning don't disagree with that at all. You, you know that. You're a living witness and testimony of that in different ways in your life. There are some in the room today, though, that, that question and wonder, yes, but is God's love really for me? Is that true of my life? Could it be true of my life? And I want you to know that this is for all of us today. And as we think about God's love, and we know that we're to love others, as the Scripture tells us, one difficulty that we often face simply arises by asking this question, how then do I as a Christian love like God has loved me? How is it that we as Christians commanded to love one another that can be hard at times right it's okay to agree with me right there you don't have to be afraid of saying yes to that question I'm in the room therefore there are people in the room that are hard to love okay everybody else is just icing on the cake right but then others outside of our walls can be hard to love for example I'll say your neighbor That doesn't mow their grass the way you mow your grass. That will not leave your fence alone, keeps messing with your fence. That whatever that neighbor does, you know, it's just like dripping water. Never stops, right? Those kinds of people drive you nuts, right? But we're called to, how is it that Christians live in the world as God's ambassadors to love like God has loved us? That's the essence of what I'm striking at today. That's the heart of what I want to talk about with you today. And I want to begin today by explaining not only preaching the sermon, but actually why I'm preaching this sermon. It will be a little different than a typical Sunday because it's more of a thematic or a topical sermon. So instead of just looking at one predominant text of scripture, we're going to move through a number of texts of scriptures. But I have three aims for this message today. The first aim is simply, I want to explain to you the Christian's motivation for love. I just want you to see biblically what is our motivation to love other people. And I want to clarify how God has loved us and encourage and strengthen and unite us that that defines for us how it is that we go and love other people. And so I I want to explain this to you. A number of months ago, um, I began to, to direct those who in the service, Tyler and any of the elders that might be ending the service, that, that for so many years we had concluded the service and, and articulated the benediction, that, that benedicting saying over the people before they leave with, you are sent. And that's such a powerful reminder. It's been so important for us over the last seven or eight years to just really dig that deep into our hearts for what God wants to use us for 
before. But the Lord really began to impress upon me. Let's talk to our people not just about what they're sent to do or that the fact they are sent, but rather let's get behind that and let's ask why is it we don't always live sin and let's motivate that sentness to the world. And the motivation for that comes from God's love. And so we made a shift several months ago to begin expressing the benediction of our service in this way. Life point, you are loved. Go in peace. You are loved. Why? Because I think in a world that's becoming increasingly chaotic, love will be the only action that wins. I'm going to need you to listen to me on that one because I'm going to define it a little more as we go. I want to talk to you today about the motivation for love. That's my first aim. My second aim is this. I'm going to talk to you about a model for love. How is it that we love in the world? And I want to talk to you about the relationship between how God loved us by saving us, by uh, sanctifying us, by sending us, and by sustaining us, and the relationship between God's love to us and, if you will, God's love through us, how it is that we love other people. That's the outline of my sermon today. And then at the end, I'm going to call our church to love. To love. To love in ways that we've not loved. Maybe to love in ways that, that we've lost our first love. To love in ways that we've grown weary in. To love in ways that we've just forgotten about and neglected and, and dismissed. But I want to call us back to a very intentional, explicit pursuing love in the way that God has loved us. And so that's why I share this message with you this morning. For Christians are God's witnesses and his ambassadors to tell of God's work and love and to do God's work in love. And the only way that Christians can love is the way in which we've been Loved. And so we're going to look at that love from a number of different scriptures today. And one of the things some of you have noticed, because some of you are very hyper A type, and you must take your notes, and you didn't get a note sheet today. And you were wondering if I was going to deal with this and apologize for not giving you a note sheet today. You're forgiven. Wait a minute. You need to be asking for forgiveness right now. No, you need to forgive right now because we're going to talk about that in a minute and you're going to feel bad if you don't right now. Your notes are right beside you on either wall. So if you need to know today's outline, it's right beside you. It's probably right in front of you too. See, I've already made your notes for you. Let me tell you, if you need more notes than this or that, you can get the whole sermon. It's full manuscript this week in print, and you can read it. That's fine. Today, I want you to listen. I don't want you writing. I want you to listen, okay? And, and if you think you missed something I said, you can even go listen to the recording again. But today... I want to drive one thing deep in the heart of our church, and it's this, that Christians love all people because we've been perfectly loved by Jesus. Christians love all people because we've been perfectly loved by all people. And I want this morning to take those four ways that we've identified that God has loved us, and I want us to see how we must go and love other people. People, the first way that God has loved us through the gospel is that Jesus has come to us to save us. Therefore, Christians must love first. Christians must love first. John 3.16 tells us in the probably one of the most well-known or most famous verses in all the Bible, thanks to a rainbow-wigged wearing dude on sporting events of the last generation. Some of you under the age of 30 don't get that. And maybe some of you over don't get it too. I thought that would come off a little better. You know the guy that used to always carry the sign in the end zone, John 3.16? I don't know whatever happened to him, but I miss that guy. He always wore a rainbow wig and had a bright sign that said John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever 
everlasting life. What a powerful verse, powerful words spoken to a leading religious leader. This is how Jesus chose to describe the gospel to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who came to him in the middle of the night and said, Lord, we know there's something different about you. Or Rabbi, we know there's something different about you. What is it that's different about you? There is an authority. There's a presence when you're in the room. And Jesus told him in this way that salvation doesn't come through conquering the law, but rather recognizing you cannot fulfill the law that you might humble yourself and receive God's love. For God so loved the world, Jesus says. You see, love is what we most long and desire for. And in Jesus Christ, the love of God has come. And then in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul begins to tell us in describing how it is that this love has come to us, specifically to save us. And here's what we find. He says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. This, friends, is the gospel. And those four words, while we were sinners, are so important for us to understand. It was at that time that God brought his love to us. That word in sinners, if you go and follow the verses that follow verse 8, you'll find really sinners is defined in two ways in Romans 5. First of all, sinners are sinners because we're weak. We're weak. You may not feel weak in your life, but one prevailing truth remains for every person. We are powerless and helpless to do anything about sin. It's shame and it's condemnation upon us. We're weak in our sin. And the second way sinners is defined is as enemies. Enemies. We are enemies of God. While we may not feel like an enemy, by our nature and subsequently our actions, we oppose God's sovereign rule. Listen, friends, you may not see your life outside of Jesus Christ as open hostility towards God in every moment. But every time something happens that we don't like, every time something happens when we don't get what we want, hostility flares and God gets blamed. That is proof that we are enemies of God. Enemies of his. And so when he says, while we were sinners... In other words, we were weak and helpless to do anything about our state in sinfulness before God. And we were hostile to God because we sat on the throne of our life and not the Lord Jesus Christ who alone is worthy. We were separated from God. Sin separates us from God and it sets us in direct hostile opposition to God, regardless of how we feel and even regardless of what we think about ourselves. But Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sin while we were sinners. Stop for just a moment if you're caught up in a cycle of debating intellectually right now whether you're actually separated or hostile to God outside of Jesus Christ. And ask yourself this, regardless of how we think or feel about being enemies of God, ask how God might have felt. Ask how it is that God might have perceived us and whether or not we knew it, whether or not we felt it, or whether or not we even acknowledged it, God was aware of our hostility and our separation from him. And before we asked for it, before we knew it, before we could conceive or imagine, he dealt with it. That's love, friends. That's what the scripture tells us. When God showed his first love, he justified by his blood all who would trust in Jesus Christ. When you look at this love logo, you will see underneath the word or underneath the L the word first and underneath that the drop of Jesus's blood. It was through the blood of Christ that God came and he loved us first 
when we were still his enemies and sinners. You see, justification by God means that we are forgiven for our sin and that we are reconciled to God. And so when we trust in Jesus' sacrifice, by his death, we are made alive unto God. We were dead in our sins, but now in Jesus, we are alive. And then John goes on to tell us what God has done in loving us when we believe in him. Listen to verses 14 through 16 of 1 John 4. Here's what John says later, not in his gospel, but in his epistle. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in God and God abides in him, excuse me, so whoever loves abides in God and God abides in him. And then one verse later he comes and he says, we love because he First loved us. God, friends, loved us first. First. And that most clearly identifies how we as Christians must be ready to love others. Christians strive to love first. It means that we initiate loving others. We pursue to love others. And even beginning with one another. Listen to what one commentator said about this. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of his common allegiance, in the light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, They commit themselves to doing what he says. And he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. What that commentator just described is what we articulate as being gospel-centered or Jesus-centered. We're here because we are centered on Jesus Christ. You see, loving first also means holding what I call a redemptive urgency. An inclination, but an urgency that God is worthy of all worship. And every second that God is not worshiped is actually a travesty against his perfect righteousness. And it's, 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 it's a coup upon his throne. And unbelief is stealing his glory. We live in a time right now of divine mercy. But this time will not always remain. And the end draws near for God says, do not suppose in first Peter that my patience is in some way saying that I cannot come but I shall come like a thief in the night this time of divine mercy will come to an end this redemptive window of opportunity will not last forever and at that time we will see in its full realm the consequence of sin that is real and that is eternal this we believe because of God's word this defines our redemptive urgency and why we must love first because God first loved us we know people that are hurting we know people that are seeking and they're they're circling their lives spinning so often out of control not looking for God but the thing they're looking for only God can satisfy When we see them, we know that God did not wait on us to get ready. He didn't wait on us to know our need or to prepare for his love, but rather he came to us. Therefore, Christians live with a redemptive urgency to pursue others and to love them first. Listen, friends, religion will fail every time. Success will always fall short and people will disappoint you, but Jesus always saves. God loved us first in salvation. Therefore, Christians love first. The second way that I want you to see today that we are to love is that 
We see that through the gospel, Jesus sanctifies us. Therefore, Christians love true. Love true. I'm not going to lie to you. This will be the hardest way that you ever are demanded to show love. The hardest way. There's two defining realities that become immediately true of Christians when God saves them by faith. Now, I'm going to warn you. Some of you in the room right now are not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. You just don't believe it's true for you. You don't tell people this. You don't parade it around. You don't make it public knowledge. But in your heart of hearts, you just don't believe this about you. And I want you to know, I'm calling you out of that unbelief today to receive by faith what Jesus says is true about you. And here's what it is. First of all, you are justified, you you are forgiven, and you are reconciled with God. We like to receive that one, and that is true of us in salvation. Here's the second defining reality of the Christian. You are made righteous. You are made righteous. Perfectly blameless before God. Don't worry, it makes us all uncomfortable. But it is true. And every day that we live like it's not, we deny the saving work of Jesus Christ in our behalf. You see, by faith we enter into his death, that by faith we might walk in his life. That means we take on the righteousness of Christ. I'm not saying that the reality of this moment of your life is that you act perfectly in every instance. But I'm telling you, the righteousness of Christ by faith sits on you, Christian. And you need to receive this. By Jesus' blood, we have peace with God. And if we weren't righteous and holy, there would be no peace with God for he he is righteous and holy. And so we wage a war against sin and flesh to destroy its immediate stronghold on us as we are transformed more and more into Jesus's likeness. But I need you to understand something. When the Bible says that you are saints, literally hagios is the word for holiness, You are holy ones is what it's saying. And it's not just a grandiose vision of maybe one day some of you can measure up. It's a true reality of what Christ has put on you in salvation. You're not righteous because of you. You are righteous by faith because of him. Sanctification is the process of of being transformed into Jesus' image and bringing the eternal truth of justification before God more and more to a daily here and now reality in this life. And you say, that's what I'm doing, Pastor. I'm growing, but that doesn't make me holy right now. No, what makes you holy right now is that God said you are. So live up to it by faith. Walking in obedience with Jesus every day. But do not neglect it. Do not refuse it. The whole Bible captures God's nature demonstrated through his love. And it is one of love, mercy, and grace that is perfectly aligned. Are you ready? With his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. God is perfect in all of his attributes. And he holds them in perfect Unity. Exodus 34, 6 tells us the Lord passed before him. Speaking of Moses, the Lord, he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 89, 14 tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O Lord. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. You see, God's people have always been commanded to remain faithful to God in how they live, both in love, justice, and righteousness. We see that in Deuteronomy, in hating evil and in loving what is good. Amos tells us that in chapter 5, and in loving others that wasn't a thing that came up in the new testament loving others is a law leviticus 19 18 when jesus said love god with all your heart your soul your mind and your strength and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself he wasn't giving good advice he was citing scriptural law god's all 
always been about loving people. It's not just something that showed up in the New Testament. He's not angry and vindictive in the Old Testament. Somebody flips a switch and he gets loving and merciful in the New. He's a just, he's a holy and a righteous God. And that's why Christ's crucifixion on the cross for us is so powerful because our death was in his death. And by faith, our life is in him. It is righteous, it is holiness, and we walk with him in his righteousness. Praise God. I just need you to believe that God has not loved you enough to save you without making you righteous. You are clothed, covered. Jesus' death on the cross shows that God is righteous, he is holy, and he is just, and he is the justifier of the one who by faith believes in him just as much as he is loving and merciful and gracious. Listen, I'm way behind on time. 1 John 4, 16 tells us this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Abiding in love never includes anything that just might get called love. But rather, it means living true to God, to his nature, to his character. Because we believe the love that God has for us. And the more we believe God's love, the more we will strive to live perfectly in that love. You see, Christians love as God loved, that we might show God's saving love in Jesus Christ and lead others to a saving faith of that same knowledge. On the logo under the O, you will see that Christians, because Jesus's love, or God's love in Jesus sanctifies us, Christians strive to love true, to love true. That's represented by a refiner's fire that is sanctifying and purifying us. Because love that is true means directing love towards others that is ultimately oriented to God, not just to them. Our greatest feat is not just to go make someone feel love, but to offer to them a love that matters, a love that is eternal and that is true. Christians strive to reflect God's perfect love in order to point people to him. And listen, love that is true, friends, is much more than just emotion or feeling. It surely includes feeling and emotion, but it's much more. For not all that feels good at first is love, right? I mean, I was never under any auspices when my dad said to me, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, but I love you. I never thought that the thing that was gonna follow that were Christmas presents. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like I, I knew what was coming after he said that. And it was about to rain down very intentionally in one location on my physicality. And then inflict my physicality for a period of time. Not all that is love feels good at first. Not all or everything that feels good is love. And not all that claims to be love is actually loving. Loving in ways that are true will be confusing at times, friends. That's why I said this is the hardest way for us to love. Because we will dare to love in hard situations. True love aligns with God's truth, friends. When we forsake or deny God's worth, we're unloving and we deny our love for God. When we forsake or deny God's word in trying to be loving, we love self most by acting in ways that allow us to remain comfortable. Don't want don't to risk the friendship. And listen, when we dare to love in ways that are true, we can be sure that we'll win no popularity contest. And the world that champions tolerance as one of its key values will have little of it for you. Loving true means that we make sure our attitude and our actions aligns with God's word to encourage obedience unto God. Through the gospel, Jesus sanctifies us. Therefore, Christians love in ways that are true. The third way that we love is that through the gospel, Jesus sends us. Therefore, Christians love most. Now, where loving true is the hardest way to love, loving most will be the most challenging to you. It'll be the most challenging to you. When God loved us in Jesus, he gave us complete salvation, not partial provision. Jesus died once for all to bring us to God. 
God loves people through Jesus to the uttermost. He sends Christians to do the same. And so through Jesus, we're forgiven for our sin and we have peace with God. Listen, this is a simplification, but an absolutely complete explanation. All problems begin with sin. People are incomplete without God, friends. That's why they're filling their lives with so many things that are destroying them because there's not another idol out there who will do anything other than bring death to their life. Only God brings life. The Bible goes on to tell us that even all of creation is groaning as it awaits full redemption. Christians are sent as peacemakers in the world, proclaiming peace with God and laboring for peace among people. Listen to these passages that help us understand what it means to love most. Proverbs 10, 12 tells us that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Christians love most because it brings the greatest response for peace. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Friends, Christians love most, even in extreme cases, because it holds the power to overcome. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love is the greatest of all, and the greatest love gives most for the other person. Gives most. Love most means that, are you ready? Here's the challenging part. We forgive to labor for peace. Friends, I need you to hear the next few words that I'm going to tell you. If I can get through them. This is so powerfully overwhelming to me. God in love came to bring forgiveness to us. He had to make a way to do that through Christ on the cross. We didn't have a way to do that. So God killed the only sacrifice that was worthy to secure our salvation, and that was his son. God's forgiveness is complete. It's not God and then everything else you can tack on to him. It's not Jesus plus or Jesus minus. Jesus is enough. What one commentator says is when God does forgive his people, he makes a thorough job of it. The Bible tells us as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Listen, friends, God doesn't make our sin a thing of our past. When God forgives, he removes our sin, he blots it out, and he forgets it. God doesn't make our sin a thing of our past. God makes our sin a thing that never was. Never. That's overwhelming to me. Why? Because that's the only way he could make us righteous and be with us. Listen, friends, he remembers your sin no more. The reason God can save us and forgive us is because there is no wrath for all who are in Christ Jesus. It's not that God has chosen to push it to the side. It's been consumed in Christ on the cross. It's not there. In Jesus Christ, there is no wrath in God There is none, and therefore, because of our sin, when he looks at us, he doesn't see us and go, I got a list. This isn't Santa Claus. He's not checking that list to go and bring it up at the worst possible time, right? I knew you were going to say that, God. God has nothing bad to say about you in Christ Jesus because your sin has been blotted out and forgotten. It's been removed from you. It is no more, praise God. Imagine... Imagine the power and the influence of a people who were giving their life to make this message known to every person in the world. Imagine that. Loving most means Christians stand ready to forgive. 
forgive. See, the reason forgiveness is loving most, as Bex explained here, the love that is demanded in many of the hardest cases inevitably demands some form of forgiveness. Friends, forgiveness is not only helpful in the hardest of cases, it is the hardest in every case. Many people learn to move on to avoid the difficulty that forgiveness demands. And and they, they just think that they can cope with it by just simply moving on. But friends, moving on, listen to me, because some of you have moved on and you need to stop and back up. Moving on is just another moral effort to justify oneself. And it will never work. Forgiveness requires a whole other kind of power and strength. The person who forgives, listen to this, refuses to demonize the wrongdoer and recognizes the wrongdoer's common humanity. The person who forgive quietly surrenders vengeance, the right to get even. I told you it was the hardest. Forgiveness is not just letting go so you can move on. Forgiveness is the refusal to demand control replaced by the intentional trust that God is in control. And it releases others from guilt and condemnation for their peace and for yours. And Christians love most because we've been most loved by God. Forgiven and given peace. See, the love logo represents God's most love with a heart because when Christians love most, we aim for the heart in forgiveness to bring peace. Learning to love most through forgiveness and laboring for it is critical. Forgiving other people is so important. The Bible says that our forgiveness is directly tied to our readiness and our willingness to forgive. And people disqualify themselves from being forgiven if they're so hardened in their own bitterness that they cannot and will not forgive others. So when we as Christians labor for peace, labor to love most through forgiveness, we're demonstrating our heart for God by aiming for the heart of a person through forgiveness to bring peace. And sometimes that means we go to people to grant forgiveness. Sometimes that means we go to people to seek it. Loving most always presents the greatest challenge because in forgiveness we most emulate Jesus' sacrifice through, uh, through love and what it's done for us. God saved us to send us and he sent us to be his ambassadors to proclaim a good news that brought forgiveness and peace. That makes us peacemakers through forgiveness. The fourth way is that Jesus sustains. Psalm 136 is a beautiful psalm. And we're so tempted to, to blow through it because here's what it says. It has a phrase that that captures God's nature, characteristic, or quality. And then it has a refrain in every verse that says, For his steadfast love endures forever. Through the gospel, Jesus sustains us in his love. Therefore, Christians strive to love last. In lasting ways. God's love is everlasting. And so we labor for people to know that God's love lasts forever. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Let me tell you why God's everlasting love is so important for us and why Christians to strive to love in ways that last is so important because people want to know, will God be faithful not only in the good times, but will he be faithful when I need it most? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are the same yesterday 
and today and forever. Everlasting. They may know everything about God's love that saves. They may balk a little bit, but accept God's love that sanctifies. They may not completely understand, but get that if we're loved, we're going to do something because of that. But at the end of the day, a love that lasts will be the tipping point that moves them from unbelief to saving faith. Because God will not leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because from everlasting to everlasting, he has loved you. He will be faithful for you. The love logo represents God's lasting love with leaves. Hear me. Because the more we love, the more it grows. And the more we love, the more we grow. Christians love all people because we've been perfectly loved by God. I want to ask you to do something that we don't often do, but I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a few moments. I'm going to ask Tyler to come up and if he would just underscore for a few minutes. I, I want to ask you a question. Friends, we can't just go and will that we will love people in the way God has loved. For we will not love others the way God has loved until we live in the love with which God has given to us. And I need to ask each and every one of you this morning one simple question. Have you received God's love? Have you received God's love? By faith. Have you said, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to show your love for me. And by faith, I put my trust in him to receive your love today. If you're here today and you've never come to a point where you've repented of your sins and you've put your faith in Jesus to receive the love of God in him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. There will be an elder and a staff member here at the front, and I'm going to invite you to come and to let them pray for you, let them encourage you, and let the Spirit of God minister to you through them. Is there someone here today that for the first time in their life would say, I need to receive God's love? Maybe you've lived your life trying to earn it. Maybe you've lived your life trying to achieve it, wondering when God would bestow it. I mean, I've done a lot of good things, God. When will you give it to me? I want you to know it was here before you ever strived for it. Will you receive it today? Will you put your trust in Him? Would you just consider that question for just a moment, that invitation to receive the love of God? I'm going to ask Tyler just to sing a verse over us. As we remain with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, let the Spirit of God work in the room. Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and Of the band return and we're going to respond to the Lord 
That means we're going to take what we've learned today, we're going to listen to what the Spirit has said, and we're going to respond as the Spirit of God leads us. And if you're here today, and for the first time, you need to put your faith in Jesus and become a Christian, I'm going to invite you to come, take the hand of an elder, and tell them, I need to become a Christian today and receive God's love. If you are a Christian in the room, but you know you're living in such a way that that you're saying no to God's word for your life, and you're not walking in righteousness and holiness with Him, and the Spirit of God brings conviction in an area of your life, and you know you need to repent and turn, I'm going to ask you to come. Come to the altar. I'm going to ask you to come and let an elder minister to you. But I'm going to ask you to come and respond openly to the love of God. To say, God, I'm going to respond openly to your love because I'm going to openly share your love. Some of you today in this room, many of you, I grant it, in some way, to some extent, are living with unforgiveness in your heart. You've not forgiven someone for something they did to you in the past. You've not forgiven someone for something they've said about you. And you know it because it often comes to your mind and it condemns your heart. Some of you know that you need to go and seek forgiveness for reconciliation from another person. And right now the Spirit is saying to you, I need you to go and tell this person that things need to be right between the two of you. You need to seek forgiveness to bring reconciliation. We want to pray for you today. Some of you... Some of you have a name or a face of a person that God by His Spirit has placed on your heart today. And you need to go to that person to share and to show the love of God to them. Will you commit to that in this time and in this place? Let me pray for us as the band returns and then we're going to all respond to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. And Holy Spirit, I pray for the next few moments that you would guard us from any distraction from the evil one. I pray that you would bind us into this very place and into this very moment that we might listen to you and we might respond to you in faith. And God, everything that takes place in the next few moments would be for your honor and for your glory, but only because of your love. Help us in this moment, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray.